Thanks Living is our series about living a life of thanks. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Twin Lakes Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our live stream. Hey, just a quick reminder, uh, during this message, you can follow along with notes that we have for you. Go to tlc.org slash notes to download them. Even print them if you want. You can also download the Twin Lakes Church app in any of the app stores. And while you gather that stuff, get ready for the message, I want to share a little bit about my family to you. I like to give an update anytime I get up here to speak, just because it's been a while. Just so you know, this is a picture of us. And that's me on the right, just in case. Um, Ella is our nine-year-old. She is in the fourth grade and is loving it. She loves to read and to act and to sing. And um, she's growing into a beautiful young woman. Uh, Penelope is our seven-year-old little spitfire. She loves school and she loves to play. We, I, I say that she loves to do things at 100%. When she's playing, she plays at 100%. None of her pants don't have holes in them. And when she's happy, she's 100% happy. When she's mad, she's 100% mad. But she's awesome little girl. She's our cuddler too. And my wife, Jamie, she's a physical therapist at Dominican, if you didn't know. We celebrated 15 years of marriage this year. I know you're applauding at home. That's why I paused. Uh, but we are so just grateful to the, to the Twin Lakes uh, Church family for all your prayers. And anytime you think of us, we covet your prayers. Appreciate them. Well, I'm excited to kick off this uh, sermon series on thankfulness. Our theme verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Uh, Jamie and I were talking earlier this week, and I remember we were in our living room, and she said, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about gratitude this weekend, but I just have to be honest, that's really hard right now. Do you kind of feel the same way? I mean, I do. I, talking about gratitude, being thankful right now, for what? Because our circumstances right now are tough, are crazy, right? I mean, just think about this year. We had the pandemic. Uh, we still have the pandemic. We had the racial uh, reckoning and the racism in our country. We had locally here the fires, this election. It seems like it'll never end. And most of all, the division that we see in our world, in our country, in our community, in our church, even in our homes. Being grateful when life is hard and crazy and when the world seems like it's falling apart, is that even possible? What does God mean by be thankful in every circumstance? Am I supposed to be grateful for all the bad things that are going on? I'm going to show you that picture of my family again. This picture we took up at Camp Hammer. And if I'm honest, when I look at this picture, it makes me sad. I feel grief because Camp Hammer has become one of our family's favorite places on this planet. And as many of you know, that magical place burnt down. And along with the camp burning down, so did the homes and belongings of some of our dearest friends. And it's such a terrible situation. And I'm not thankful to God for that. But when I look at this picture, I am grateful. 
I'm grateful that I got to go up there for nine summers as a speaker and bring my family and that my kids got to go to Camp Hammer each summer as a, as a speaker's kid and experience that beautiful place in such a special way even before they could attend as campers. That we could go up as a family for family camp and go up and visit friends. And I'm thankful for this day that we took this picture. Because just days after that, that place burned down. God isn't saying in this verse that we have to be thankful for our circumstances. What he's saying is that we need to be thankful in all circumstances. We have to have a heart of gratitude no matter what's going on. But you might ask the question, why? Why should I do that? Why, do, why should I be grateful when things are going wrong? I'm going to share this quote with you that I read this week. I actually watched this video of David Stein Drast. He's a monk, and he had a TED Talk, a very popular TED Talk, called Want to Be Happy? Be Grateful. And in it, he says this, What is the connection between happiness and gratefulness? Many people would say, when you are happy, you're grateful. But think again. Is it really the happy people that are grateful? We all know quite a number of people who have everything that it would take to be happy. And they are not happy because they want something else or they want more. And we all know people who have lots of misfortune, misfortune that we ourselves would not want to have. And they are deeply happy. They radiate happiness. So it is not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us happy. Do you know somebody like that? Somebody who even in the midst of some of the hardest times in their life, they radiate joy and happiness and gratitude. I don't know about you, but I want to live like that. Being able to practice gratitude even when life is hard. And today, we're going to learn how we can do that. We're going to turn to Psalm chapter 77. This is a psalm of Asaph. And I just want to give you a little background on Asaph. He's one of my favorite psalmists. He's a singer-songwriter. And back in the day, King David appoints him to be the, the worship leader for all of Israel, the whole nation. And he was there for David's reign. So he, he lived through the golden age of the nation of Israel through the reign of Solomon. But he was also there when Solomon fell away. So he saw some of the best times and some of the worst times. And it's in this psalm that he writes with all those experiences, in this psalm we're going to see three steps to thanks living in every circumstance. So we're going to jump right in. Number one, the first step is to be honest. Starting in verse one, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. Selah. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, 
Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Selah. Just a quick note on that word selah. It's sort of a breath, a break, a musical break. It's where in a modern song you'd have like a guitar solo or a piano solo. And just remember, this psalm isn't just a psalm to read. This was a psalm for people to sing. And Asaph is being brutally honest and he says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I I thought about you and I got tired. I got weak. Selah. Have you forgotten to be merciful? Are you a liar? Piano solo. He wanted them to sit in that brutal honesty, the despair, the sadness, and the hopelessness he was feeling. Because this is the thing. Many of us think that to be a Christian means to just to always, all the time, be bubbly and happy and smiling But Asaph shows us that it's okay to be upset. That it's important to lament and to cry out for injustice, to be upset and grieve and and yell and shout. When we're feeling these emotions and, and when the world is like this, we're not supposed to just push it down and hide it. We're supposed to be honest. But God doesn't want us to stay there. You know, the popular thing today is to get angry, to get mad, and then pack all your stuff and move in there and live in your anger, live in, in your grief. And that's what, the, that's what the news and social media does. They just feed you things to make you more angry at that person, more upset about that situation. And then you, they want you to live there. And they say, hey, come back later because we got more things for you to be angry about. So you continue to scroll on Twitter or on Facebook and read and, and, and watch more of these things that make you upset. But what God is saying is that we need to move, though be honest, move out of there. And that's what, exactly what Asaph does in this psalm. I want to skip a few verses to see where Asaph moves to. Where does he pack his stuff and go to? Starting in verse 13, watch this. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples with your mighty arm. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Wow, huge guitar solo and drum solo. What just happened? Asaph went from God, has your love disappeared? You said that you would do all these things and be loving, but you're not. Are you a liar? And he goes from that in just four verses to what God is as great as our God. I mean, that's a serious 180, right? He goes from the pit of despair to the peak of joy. And just like Asaph, you and I, we need to move from the despair and the grief we might be feeling to joy And to praise. Because listen, it's in those moments. It's in the moments when, though everything seems like it's falling apart. In those moments when we display strength and gratitude and joy and praise. It's in those moments when people see a difference between the world's answer to grief and suffering and despair and God's answer. Asaph does it in just three verses. 
in those three verses that we're about to, we're going to read in just a moment that we see the secret to thanks living in every circumstance. Starting in verse 10, Asaph writes this, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. What did Asaph do? It's the word that we see over and over there. He remembered. And this isn't just some passive memory. Like he's super sad. He's like, oh, you know what? That's right. You're, you're a good God. No. He makes a decision to actively remember God's faithfulness. He says, I will remember. He wills himself to look back and cut through the fog of despair and see God's goodness and his faithfulness. And that brings us to our second step. The second step to finding gratitude, to thanks living in every circumstance. Number two, remember your story. You know, recently, Jamie and I were asked to uh, record a video testimony. And they said, hey, can you think of a, a time in your life where God was faithful? And one thing immediately came to our minds, and it was our move here to Santa Cruz. And I want to share that story with you. Uh, Jamie and I are originally from South Florida, and I was a youth pastor there uh, for, uh, was going on six years, and Jamie had, was like finishing her uh, master's degree in physical therapy, and there was one night I was laying in bed, and I felt God kind of impress on my heart, it's time for you to move. Move on from your job, move on from this place. And um, let me say, say this, it, that was a huge deal. We owned a home. We, most of our family lived there and still lives there. I had the stable job. My wife, you know, she was about to graduate with her master's degree, and she had a job all lined up. It was all ready to go. But I really felt like God was leading us away. And for me, that meant moving to California. When I was 15, I visited San Diego, and I'm like, one day I am moving to California. And so we talked over it. I talked with Jamie, and she's like, yeah, let's Let's think about it. Let's look into it. So I started looking for jobs, mainly down south, and had all these interviews lined up. And I was like far down the process when, I don't know why, I looked at the listings again, and I saw this listing for a job. A part-time worship leader for an alternative service called Genesis at a church called Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz, California. I'm like, part-time job? Santa Cruz? I don't, what, is that near San Diego? And I looked it up. Nope. Like, not close. And so, I, I don't know why, but I'm like, well, let me just send an email out and see if this is still available. I get in contact with Charlie Broxton, who's the pastor at the time. We set up a phone meeting, and then we start talking. A couple hours, we hit it off. And then, just a few days later, we set up a time, two months later, in February 2007, for Jamie and I to fly here to visit and to check out Santa Cruz and check out the church. So, our first visit to Santa Cruz. We fly in February to sunny Surf City, and it was freezing and raining. Remember when it used to rain in the winter? It was cold. 
We get, we get down to Santa Cruz from San Jose and go to church on Sunday. I helped lead worship over in Munsky Hall. It was great and we met a lot of people. And then I remember Charlie uh, walked me over into this building right down there. I can remember like it was yesterday and there was two people standing on the corner right there. And I went and he wanted to introduce me. So I talked to them. They were pretty nice. Mark and Val. Renee was out of town. So I couldn't meet him, but it was like, cool. I'm like, okay, nice-ish people here. <laughs> and uh, then right after that, we had a lunch meeting with uh, a couple who's really involved at this, this service called Genesis, uh, Brian and Layla Dawson. And they wanted to just talk and meet and just tell us about the area and the church and all that stuff and connect. And so they take us out to lunch and they take us to Shadowbrook. And I'm like, whoa, they eat well in Santa Cruz, must eat like this all the time. I think I've been there like one more time in the last 13 years. It's so expensive. And we hit it off. It was great. And then that night we had a dinner uh, meeting with uh, Craig and Erica Stubblefield. Now Craig Stubblefield was actually the worship leader, but he was moving on and I was replacing him. So we were just going to connect. And I remember driving our rental car to their little house and we go and it was above a garage and we walked up the stairs. And I remember walking in and it was like the such a cool place. And I mean, they're really cool people. And so everything they do is kind of, they look cool. They dress cool. Their house looks cool. And then I remember later I told Jamie, I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to find a place like this? So I've said cool a lot, right? (laughs) But it's like very cool place. Wouldn't it be cool if we moved here to find a place like this? Anyway, so then we had dinner. It was great. We are still friends to this day. Our families are very close. Well, after all that, the next day we decide to drive around Santa Cruz and uh, just look around and pray. And we end up at, on West Cliff. And we're walking down West Cliff. And we end at Natural Bridges. And Jamie turns to me and says, we should move here. I mean, like my jaw dropped for a second. It was as if God himself was speaking through that very cute face with her cute voice. But I could hear God's words, move here. Because this is the thing. For me, I could have moved anywhere. I just was ready to leave and move. But I knew for Jamie, it was a way bigger deal. All the stability we had and her family, she was born and raised where we were from. And so I was really concerned about how she felt. So when she said that, I was like, this is God's will. So that night, I accepted the job. Before our flight back, we decided, hey, we need to look for some jobs for places for Jamie to work. And... Uh, she had a job lined up at a hospital in Florida. And, in, you know, where we live, there is, like, so many hospitals, like 20 hospitals. They're all, like, high-rises. And so we thought, man, we got to Google. We'll try to hit as many hospitals in Santa Cruz that we can. So I go to Google, and there's two. <laughs> so we go to both. We go to Watsonville, and then we end up at Dominican. And through some crazy series of events, we're right before the morning of our flight to Florida, we are sitting in the office of the director of outpatient physical therapy on Frederick Street. And I'm sitting there, and Jamie's next to me, across from Karen, And Karen is basically pitching a job to my not-yet-graduated wife. And I remember I was trying to hold it back because I'm not talking, but I'm tearing up because I'm like, gosh, this is such a big deal. And we weren't sure what was going to happen. And she's getting a job right now. How is this possible? A week later, she has a phone interview, has a job, both Twin Lakes Church and Dominican, hold those jobs for a couple months for us. It was such a blessing. One last twist to this story. It's about a month ago. 
to move here, we have no place to live. It's hard to find places to live. And back in 2007, you know, there was just maybe Craigslist. And I kept sending addresses. What about this place? It's affordable. And they're like, you don't want to live there if you, unless you want to die. I'm like, okay, that's, I don't want to die. And so I was getting kind of stressed out. It's about, you know, three weeks left. And I get an email from Craig Stubblefield. And he says, hey, we're moving. Do you want to move in here? <laughs> I'm like, wait, do I want to move in to that super cool apartment above the garage. Literally, listen, the only house we stepped foot into that we thought would be really cool to live in is now open, and he's asking us if we want to live there. Yes, please. He sends me the landlord's information. You know who the landlord is? The Dawsons, the only other family that we met. And they were going to be our neighbors. We lived above their garage, and they really, they became our family because we knew nobody when we moved here. When I look back at that story 13 years ago, I can see God because that was such a drastic move, literally going across the country to a place where you don't know anybody, and him just guiding us so gently. We need to remember our stories. Look back for those moments in your life where God was, it was working and then meditate on them. And when those troubled times come, when, when you're in the fog of despair, you can look back and cut through that fog and see, yes, God has been faithful in my life. But listen, it's easy to forget, right? It's easy to miss. I, I mean, that's what happened to Asaph. I mean, he started this psalm with like, God... Do you exist? What's going on? He forgot that God is faithful. And this is the thing. God knew that, God knew that would happen. He knew that humans would be forgetful. Check this out. In the Old Testament, you read God puts into practice this, this uh, tradition to help people remember God's love, who he is, and what he's done. And it's how you and I can remember when God moves in our lives. So to help remember times when God has moved in our lives, we need to do this. We need to make monuments. Make monuments. You find this practice all throughout the Old Testament. People building monuments to commemorate what God had done in their lives. Like, for example, Joshua. Joshua is leading the nation of Israel. They've been in the wilderness all that time, and it's now it's time to go into the promised land. But we got in front of them the Jordan River. That's too deep. How are they going to get across? Well, as they walk, God performs a miracle and opens it up just like the Red Sea. But now they don't have an army chasing them, so they got some time on their hands. And Joshua says, hey, go, as you cross, make sure to pick up a rock, put it on your shoulder, bring it over, and we're going to make a pile of rocks over here. Why did he do that? Check it out, Joshua chapter 4, verse 6. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. It served as a way for them to look. And when all, things go, all the things are going wrong, they can look back at this pile of rocks and say, no, God is good. He can perform miracles. He's done it before. He can do it again. So how do we do that? I'm not asking you to go right now and grab all the rocks in your yard. 
But when something significant happens, when you see God moving in your life, take just a moment to, to document it. Like today we heard about that amazing food drive total. Don't ever forget that. Write it down, put it somewhere. Or maybe you have a journal, write it in your journal when God does something. Maybe you're an artist, you can paint a painting, sculpt a sculpture, take a photo. You know what? In our pockets, we all have these monument makers, our phones. They're incredible tools. Use your phone to record a video of yourself just telling uh, this video what has just happened. And after you, you mark it down, make this monument, you know what you got to do is share that story. After you make your monument, you need to share your story. You know, that's what Asaph did. I mean, he, he went through that honesty, that despair, and then he says, okay, I'm going to remember. And then he goes on to just proclaim all the goodness of God. And then in the next chapter of Psalm, chapter 78, verse 4, he says this, We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. We need to share it. And because this is the thing, even if you make a monument, over time that monument, if it just sits there, gathers dust. Like we, put, we make a monument and put it on a shelf. But when you share that story, it's like you're taking it off that shelf and you're dusting it off, blowing off the dust so you can see it more clearly. It's why I love sharing that story of our move. Every time I do it, I dust it off. This week, I was so encouraged by just thinking about that story and his goodness, God's goodness in our lives. And it encourages me, and I know it encourages others. So share your story. Well, how do you share it? Well, I mean, just tell people. Tell the people around you when something happens. You know what? Social media it can be such an evil thing in the world, but we can use this tool. Post it on Facebook. When God, let's put some positivity and, and, and testimony of who God is and what he's done on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, in your blog. Are people still blogging? I don't know. But share it. And I want to give you one other way you can do that. tlc.org slash stories. At this page, you can find, we have a ton of videos of people who have shared their stories here locally, all around the world, that are connected to Twin Lakes Church. You can be encouraged by that. Also, on there, you can click a button to submit your own story. We want to hear what's going on in your life and how God is moving. Go on there and share it with us. So, how, 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 do we, how can we be thankful in all situations? Be honest, number one. Number two, remember your story. Make monuments. Share your story. But listen, maybe you're here. You're listening. And you say, Adrian, I'm not sure I have any instance of God moving in my life. Well, that brings me to my final point. Number three, remember his story. Because if you look back at your life and you feel like all you see are mistakes and failures and despair and pain and grief, I want to tell you this today. That the same God who opened the Red Sea, who parted the Jordan River, the same God who, who helped my wife and I make that huge move across the country, that same God loves you. And he demonstrated that love to you in an incredible, amazing way. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
God sent Jesus to live a perfect life on the earth, die on the cross. He rose from the dead. And this is the thing. God didn't do that just as a reminder of who he is. It isn't just a a memorial for you to look back and say, oh, God is loving to me. Jesus' death and his resurrection, it affects you and it affects me personally. He did those things to change your life. Jesus came and he died on the cross to, to forgive your sins. He rose from the dead, defeating death to offer you new life. And our God is loving and he is gracious. Check this out. Not only did he die for you, not only did did he defeat death in his resurrection, but he fills us. When we put our trust in Jesus and our faith in Jesus, believing those things, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that we can live this life he has called us to. Thanks living in every circumstance, we can live it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He not only does that for us, but he empowers us to live this life. That's why Paul says in in his famous verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's telling them, listen, I know you're worried about me. And this is the thing. Here's the secret. I I know that I can live no matter what's going on, if I have everything or I have nothing. You know why? Because I can do it all through the power of Christ in me. And if you've received the gift of salvation, you can always look back. To that. No matter what's going on, you can look back at that and you can remember God's love for you, his grace, and rejoice in your salvation. But if you're here and you're listening and you can hear my voice and you've never made that decision, I want to invite you today. Invite you to make that decision. Are, are, you, are you tired of living in despair and grief and you're in, just, in hopelessness? I want to tell you this. God, through Jesus Christ, offers you hope. He offers you new life. He offers you forgiveness. And he offers you the power to, to live it. And you can make that decision today. Let's pray together. If you can hear my voice and you are ready to place your faith in Jesus, you know the Bible says all you have to do is believe and confess it. And if you want to do that, I want to encourage you and invite you to pray this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or in your heart. All you have to do is say this, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead, defeating death, and offers me new life. And if you pray that prayer, that's it. You've accepted his free gift of salvation and God has filled you with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Let's pray together. If you, God, I thank you so much for your love for us, for your grace, that you died on the cross, you rose from the dead to, to forgive our sins, to Give us new life and eternity with you in heaven because you defeated death, but also, Lord, a life with you here on earth, on this hopeless, broken earth. Through your power, we can live here with hearts of gratitude because we know who you are and what you've done. God, help us to remember that. When we're feeling down, when we're feeling no hope, that we have hope 
that the same God who did all those miracles long ago is the same God today and is the same God forever. In Jesus' name, amen.